My name is Chris Cherry. I used to be a spy. My name is Brie Castellini. I used to be more of a cynic. And this is Burn Noticed, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece Burn Notice, a show about a spy. A spy named Michael Weston. Throughout this podcast, we'll be rating each episode on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, wait until the end where we'll explain them. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan, please get in touch. You can send us questions, suggestions, compliments, and no criticism of any kind at burnnoticedpodcast at gmail.com or to our Twitter at burnnoticedpod. And as always, that is burnnoticed with a D, like the name of our show. It sure is. So you're less of a cynic now? We we were kind of talking about this before we recorded today, but uh, through a series of existential crises the past couple of months, I have started to really come around to a sentiment that my mom has always held dear, that I really resisted for the first 29 years of my life, which is that everything happens for a reason. And I still fundamentally disagree with the, like, everything happens for a reason part of it, but like the underlying wisdom of that, that I think she has harnessed very well in her life is that like dwelling on things that have happened that go not the way you hoped is a pointless exercise that is not productive and it is actively like destructive probably. Yeah. And so I am trying to at the very least say that I am now more interested in what's next then what if? Right. And, and I'm I, hoping that eventually that will become true. Yeah, and I think that's a that's very healthy. I also think that is the most Brie Castellini response to the idea of everything happens for a reason. And Which is I'm gonna act like it does so that like I can reap the benefits without actually having to believe the underlying thing. No, of course, yeah. You're like you're gaming it a little. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I think that a lot of just figuring out how to live in the world is about gaming it to your advantage. Oh, totally. 100%. And you're doing it in a very Brie Castellini way, and I respect that. <laughs> but I also want to be super clear that, like, less of a cynic is what I said. Because yeah. I still very much am, you know, who I am. But I'm trying... As Popeye said. To, as Popeye said, I, I am who I am. But I am trying to, like, g- give up that a little more. I'm trying to not be chill, but, like, let things go easier. Yeah. Because I think I, I spend an, an, a non-zero amount of time trying to force things to my will after they have already gone off in a totally yes. different direction, which I feel like is not healthy for me or anyone around me. No, yeah, that makes sense. No, I think, like, I'm sort of, I'm coming at this from the opposite end as someone who's always just been very kind of like reactive Mm -hmm. but that's a little that's useful though just kind of sense of like well this is where we are now Mm -hmm. i think that's a thing i've always lived my life very much like well now what Mm -hmm. yeah this is where we are yeah this is where we are we're we're having a time of it folks we are having a time of it (laughs) it's it's the end of a two-year pandemic where a lot of things have happened i thought you were just gonna say it was the it's the end of the world yeah it is the end of the world it's been two years of the world ending and yet we still have to work and find out deep things about our identity and wrestle with them and how they affect the rest of our life and ambitions. Yeah, it's real stupid. It's real stupid. Let's talk about burn at us. Oh, God, I wish we could. 
So All right, let's talk about it. this one episode. Uh, this episode, season six, episode four, Under the Gun, aired on July 12th, 2012. Hey, this episode was written by Michael Horowitz and directed by Denny Gordon, which here on Burn Notice is about the best creative team that we could ever want on an episode, which, like, no pressure to this episode. At all, although at this point in my watching, my very high expectations of these two are conflicting with my historically low expectations of Burn Notice. Uh, so we're going to see how they met, meet in the middle. High expectations? Did I... Uh, yeah. High? High. Like... Like... Like, like I, drugs? Like drugs, yes. That you were on when you were I watching was, this? I was on a mild amount of drugs when I watched this episode. <laughs> As I mentioned last week. I just wanted to point it out. Yeah. That you have both high expectations. And, and high, high expectations. expectations. <laughs> this is a good podcast that we do, and it was definitely worth all of our time spending making it. Oh, gosh. <laughs> What's this about according to IMDb? According to IMDb, the premise of this episode is that Michael, Sam, and Jesse take on a mission in the Everglades, but Sam gets kidnapped. Fiona makes a new ally inside prison when two prisoners go after her. Does she make a new ally? I mean, I think Anne is more, like, solidified as... Yeah, it seems like she made an old ally. I think maybe last time it was them, like, they had a transaction, and this time it feels more like, I don't know, I kind of like you. Yeah. I don't know. I, I will say I never read these descriptions before I watch the episode. So anytime I ever read the IMDb description on like the podcast, this is the first time that I'm ever reading it. Because <laughs> I don't want to be, spo- I don't want to have like a notion going into the episode of what it's going to be about. More than just knowing who wrote and directed it. Exactly. That's it. That's all I want to know. Sometimes um, I don't even want to know that. Yeah. But at this point, it's sort of inevitable. Right. Exactly. So do you want to get into the weeds? Let's get in the weeds. So at the loft, Michael and Sam are mobilizing while Madeline is incredulous that she's just now finding out that Michael saw Fee. It's unclear how much time has passed. Yeah, as always, the timeline in Burn Notice is very tough to pin down. Yeah, but like, she really wishes she had been given a heads up that like, Michael saw Fee. Uh, because she really cares about Fee and she actually, Sharon Glass does a good job here. Mm-hmm. Like really selling that like, no, yeah. She and Fee are like family. Right. It's, it's not just about you. You're not the only one who loves Fee, Michael. Yeah. Like maybe we would have wanted to say something. Exactly. Yeah. So Michael explains the deal. Fee's not doing great. Anson's probably trying to kill her. There's a dirty security guard and they're on their way to get to the security guard to find out more. Yep. Uh, but before they storm the guard's house with Jesse, Sam mentions that he's got a date with his girlfriend. I think Allison? No, Elsa. Elsa. Here's the thing. I have completely forgotten. Yeah, they haven't mentioned her in a while. It's in been a, a couple long seasons. time. I assumed they had broken up. I would assume that like any time that like Sam is not actively talking constantly about the girl that he is fucking, or let's be clear, the girl that is fucking him, <laughs> but it is ended. So the idea that like he su- ha- suddenly off screen has a girl that he has been with for a while. Yeah, it's like been like almost two seasons now. Although I feel like. It's sort of, just because we forgot about her doesn't mean that it doesn't make sense that they're still together because, like, Sam hasn't had to bum a house off anyone. That's true. You know, anytime we don't know where Sam's sleeping, it's because he's got a lady. That's true. I also think it's important to clarify that this comes about, we learn this information because he's like, hey, how long is this going to take? Like, can we get this over with? And they're like, why, Sam? You have something to do? And he's like, yeah, I'm taking Elsa out for dinner. And they, like, look at him and he's like, every 10 is on me. That is a good joke. It's a good joke. It's a good joke, Michael. It reestablishes the, you know, the jokes constantly about like who's paying for dinner it's a joke about sam being famously cheap and a sugar baby 
<laughs> yeah, uh, it's a good joke, and it immediately establishes that he has a girlfriend, so it's extra ironic when he immediately gets kidnapped. Yep. It's also uh, very bad breaks of him, because, like, the whole thing of bad breaks is he's trying to, like, get away from the mission to go, like, have a date with a yeah. lady, and is un- is not allowed to do so because of his high-rolling lifestyle. Yeah, there's definitely some bad breaks DNA in this episode. Mm-hmm. And the was was he the one that wrote the first Brennan episode where Brennan basically kidnaps Michael and takes him on a little road trip of, like, crime? I don't remember if he wrote that one. We just compared it to bad breaks a lot. But, like, it's it's a very, like, mechanically sound episode, yes. which is definitely a benchmark of Michael Horowitz. And, as we say, his, like, expositional, like, transitional scenes are always used very well. Exactly. Um, but yes, he is immediately kidnapped by Rebecca, aka Kristana Loken, from the last season finale. The one of the three spies, the one that went bad. Yeah, the the girl one. The girl one. I until they said it, it took me probably ten minutes of the episode before I was like, oh, that's who she was, because everyone's like, oh, it's Rebecca, and I'm like, uh huh, Rebecca. Yeah. I fully forgot who this woman was until they finally were like, oh, you're still working for Anson or something, and I was like, oh yeah. Yeah. She made so little impression on me. No, yeah, exactly. She I was, think she has a nothing face. She was a the girl. Here's one. the thing: she was more famous then. Maybe she was more famous then than it was a little bit of a get, not a huge get, but like I think she was like famous in this sort of like B movie action circuit that like Burn Notice has a symbiotic relationship with. So, like, I think it was just like, oh yeah, we remember her. I also think it's really funny that we haven't seen Dean Kane again. No. <laughs> I hope we never do. For some reason, I assumed that, like, this season we'd see more of him and, like, the kid. And we have not even heard from them since. No one has mentioned them at all. It really seemed like they were setting up a thing just to not do it. Yeah. You know, which... I don't Respect, honestly. Respect, honestly. Yeah. Please continue. I love it when shows don't hire Dean Cain. (laughs) So, Rebecca throws Sam in a car, in her car, and Sam drives Rebecca's car at gunpoint tied to the steering wheel Mm -hmm. while he tries to humanize himself to make it harder for her to kill him. And if that isn't Michael Horowitz's mission statement, I don't know what is. Yeah, it's it's a very Michael Horowitz, like, starting spy tip. Have we mentioned that the security guard is dead? Oh, yeah, no one cares. (laughs) Yeah, basically they go to find the security guard, he's dead, and Rebecca is there having just killed him and kidnapped Sam. Exactly. It's, it's, It's clear that, like, the security guard was kind of a ruse to get Sam kidnapped or get them. Was that it? I thought she was just tying up loose ends and they happened to catch her in the act. I don't know. Here's my thing. I wasn't sure if Anson's plan was... I don't think it's Anson's plan because the fact that she turns at the end implies that, like, if Sam was not dead, Anson would know. I don't think... I think Anson just wants her to, like, clean up. And it's the, that's possible. I'm because sure. otherwise it doesn't make sense that she just, like, lets Sam go. If she was on the hook from Anson, there... And, like, at the end, she's like, we can't... Anson can't know about this. Right. Presumably they would have had to fake Sam's death. I think this was a circumstance. Yeah, I think this was a circumstance. They didn't expect Fiona to know this information. They were hoping they could kill this guy clean before they found out any new information. And they happened to get there at the same time. It it might be that, yeah. Anyway, but he's dead. Doesn't matter. Um, Rebecca has kidnapped Sam and is pointing a gun at at him while he puts on the Sam charm. I'm going to say right away... He gets a peak Bruce Campbell for this episode. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Like, he gets that early on. He gets that early and often. Uh, <laughs> Same way he gets it from Elsa. <laughs> early and often. Oh, God. Elsa's an early riser. Yes. Um, I, why is she Elsa? 
I didn't know. She, I forgot she was Elsa. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. That name is frozen now to me. Mm-hmm. That it's name frozen is, in time. It's frozen in time. <laughs> I'm just now imagining like Sam Axe dating Elsa from Frozen. She pegs like, him with a ice stick she makes. Like a fucking Constable Frozen edit. <laughs> Talking about things that people who listen to this <laughs> podcast don't know anything about. No one listening to this podcast knows what Constable Frozen is. This is is an incomprehensible podcast. It's just for us. It's just for us and sometimes only one of us. (laughs) But yes, um, she takes Sam's phone and calls Michael and tells him she's keeping Sam until she's out of the country and not to go after her. So Michael and Jesse give chase. Meanwhile, in prison, Fee does sit-ups because she's in prison. And she also looks at a truly amazing picture of her and Michael mm-hmm. that looks like a red carpet photo of Jeffrey Donovan and Gabrielle Anwar with a park Photoshop in the background. Yeah, it's so bizarre to me. In every TV show where there has to be like a photo of two characters together or of a family together, it's always Photoshopped. And it's like, could you guys not have taken two seconds out of your day to just take a picture of them against a blank wall? Like, sometimes it makes sense if it's like, Supposed to have been like a long time ago. Well, yeah, when you're like younger. Yeah, but But if it's not, I don't know why they just take a picture together. Yeah, like they don't look like they don't look like Fee and Michael. They look like the actors. It's like also Fee's not even looking at the camera, and so it's like she's clearly looking off to someone else taking her picture. And it's but like it's not even that. Like every TV show has some version of this where like they're clearly photoshopped from different photos because they just forget they need a picture. But it's like you're gonna put this very prominently on screen. It needs to be an actual photo of two people in the same picture. It's why is this so hard? It's not that hard. It also like is framed like a red carpet photo. It's not framed like a picture that like someone casually took, but it's not framed like a portrait right. either. It's so, but, but like, this is just, this is this kind of shit that TV does all the time. It's like emblematic of apparently photographs that are primary on screen are always an afterthought. And I'm just like, I have been on an indie set. I know how easy it is to just like get a real photo of two people in costume maybe and I, then put it somewhere. Maybe that's why, maybe because we're used to indie sets where it's like, we have like, more time. You can't yeah. just grab them and like after they're done with makeup, like, hey, standing the trailer we're gonna take a cute picture and we'll photoshop the background later or like in the sense of like that requires pulling the actors away from doing stuff and then i like, feel like it's not that fucking hard i don't know i yeah i don't know i don't know why they don't do this i'm just like like just i'm telling you all any tv show you watch pay attention to like the family photos the oh, photos that all, they look at they're right. all insane yeah it's like no one's ever and, heard of taking a picture together and i and i've under and i understand if it's just set deck I understand if it's like we're not looking at it really closely. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I get. But again, this was prominently in the frame. Yeah. It's like it's there. Like it's a close up of it. Like take the picture. Yeah. It's like if every photo on a film set was the photo of John C. McGinley and Obama that they badly photoshopped oh prominently behind the scene. But like every photo is that. Even ones where presumably they had access to both actors at the same time, they could have just taken a picture. You know what I mean? It's like right. everything is a bad Photoshop job for no reason. For no fucking reason. Anyway. Or do you even have like, okay, <laughs> even if you are just like going to grab a picture of like Jeffrey and Gabrielle, like, because I'm sure pictures of them exist. Mm-hmm. Like, why this one that looks like a red carpet photo? I just, I don't understand. It's wild. It's absolutely wild. But anyway, so she's looking at this photo of her on the red carpet. Exactly. 
And then, uh, then it's time to go to lunch, even though, but she doesn't want to go to lunch because she wants to kind of not get killed. Yeah. Uh, but they're like, no, you have to go to lunch. And on the way to lunch, of course, it seems like she's going to get killed by multiple prisoners with knives. So she has to start a fight to like get the upper hand and also get the guards to come so they don't immediately kill her. Yeah. Basically, instead of letting them kill her quietly, she attacks them first. She goes on the yeah, offensive. Exactly. As the spy tip explains. Mm-hmm. And then in the cafeteria, Anne, who's back, explains that whoever wants Fee dead is now tired of being quiet and has hired the sisters, who are these prison lifer contract killers. Mm-hmm. They are, they're never getting out of prison, so now they just kill people in prison yeah. for shits and kills and for money. Some people crochet, they kill people. Exactly. Anne says she can't help Fee with this. It's too dangerous. She also calls her criminal again, and this... That becomes a runner in this episode. Criminal is now her like pet name. her pet name for Fee, and it, this was like once again. I was like, do I do I ship this? Do I? This is like cute. Every time she calls her criminal, I love it. Yes, yeah, it's, it's kind of fun. Like yeah, no, the, no, I think the actress sells it. I think. Yeah, I mean these two actresses are fun together. Yeah, they are. I would fully watch a spinoff show with these two characters. Oh, one hundred percent. Anyway, back in the car, Rebecca calls for a helicopter and a helicopter tour. She's like, me and my husband are going to go on this helicopter tour, which starts another long running gag throughout the episode, wherein like Rebecca and Sam talk about how they're married, but it's like more antagonistic than this sort of running gag normally happens on the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because usually it's Fee and Sam having exactly. to pretend to be married, and it's like much more comical in their like chaos. Exactly. But no, she wants a helicopter to get out of the Dodge, and she's... She has Sam pull over in order to steal a car so that they can't track Rebecca's car. Mm -hmm. Sam convinces her to not just murder someone for a new car. So instead, they pretend to have a flat and a good Samaritan stops by. And Sam gets the jump on him. And in the fray, explains that he's been kidnapped and Michael Weston exists and is a god, basically. And he will be in touch. Mm -hmm. So if you just hold on, Michael Weston will be here. And tell him helicopter tour. And tell him helicopter tour. And so uh, Rebecca interrupts and tells Sam to put the guy in the trunk of her old car and they just leave. I don't know why Rebecca does that. I don't know why Rebecca doesn't go also with Sam. I don't understand why she lets Sam be alone with a man that she leaves alive. Yeah, there's... This episode is not as tight as some other Michael Horowitz episodes. There's a lot of little especially, logic questions like that. Especially because it's an it's once again an episode where it's like, they are humanizing a bad guy. Like, you're not actually that bad. And she yeah. demonstrably isn't up until Anson has started blackmailing her. Yeah. So, like, it... it it's Spoilers, just, she's being blackmailed, obviously. Well, I think... Didn't we know that last season? No, we didn't. I don't think. I feel like we every time nope. we find out that Anson's working with someone, it's like, okay, so who's he blackmailing? No, but they haven't actually said it in this episode. Ah. Yeah, I guess no, maybe I'm also rebel. thinking of like management and like everyone yeah. who works for management is also being blackmailed, Carla included. Yeah, exactly. No, I think like for some reason they have not assumed that she is being blackmailed. <laughs> yeah, they automatically go to. I bet you love the money and danger that comes from being Anson's pawn, huh? They're like honestly surprised. Oh, you're being blackmailed. Like literally everyone who ever works for Anson ever. Yeah, it's very strange. But yeah, so this is this is one of those ones where like, yeah, you, Sam gets you a love l- his mustache, don't you? <laughs> Sam gets a lot of time alone with this dude. And it's like, Michael Weston is coming. Tell him helicopter tour. You're going to be fine. He gives him a little kiss on the head and he puts yeah. him in the trunk. <laughs> exactly. I don't know why she allowed them to leave this guy for Michael to find. Mm-hmm. Maybe she's just not good at her job. Maybe secretly she's self-sabotaging because she wants out of it because she knows somewhere in her heart of hearts that Michael Weston, this man she looked up to, which we know from last season, will save her from this terrible circumstance. 
perhaps. Anyway, either way, Jesse and Michael find the guy and he tells them that Rebecca has eyes like a barracuda <laughs> and that she hired a helicopter tour. Uh, Jesse pays him for his trouble and for some extra advice on how to get there faster. Yeah, that's, uh, this is, again, like, it's a sloppier episode overall, but the individual scenes, I'm like, yeah, are this is so that, good. Everything... I want to smoke this Horowitz transition scene. Exactly. Uh, anyway, so Sam tries to get Rebecca to explain why she's working for Anson. She tells him to floor it or something like that, and he does, and a cop pulls them over because he's speeding, but also notices that the registration is not, like, correct, and he's like, oh, yeah, this is my boss's truck, yeah. but, like, it's like, well, I'm going to call your boss. And it's like, well, you can't because I'm with his wife. And it's like, well, I don't care if you're cheating on, like, with the husband. And it's like, no, but he's abusive. And then Rebecca's like, oh, starts really overacting, frankly. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, no, he's going to kill me. He's going to kill me this time. No, it's okay. We'll figure a way out. But this cop buys it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it works. Yeah. Which is, like, basically how this episode works. Mm-hmm. Like, Rebecca and Sam encounter a problem. Rebecca wants to kill it, and Sam's like, no, don't kill the problem. Let me Bruce Campbell the problem. Exactly. I can Bruce Campbell the shit out of this problem. Also, as someone who watched a lot of, like, the later seasons of Cheers, having characters named Rebecca and Sam always makes me think of Cheers. (laughs) But yeah, back in the cafeteria, Anne explains that the sisters, these contract killers, are untouchable because the guards are scared. Um even though their cells are full of contraband. However, if there was a block-wide shakedown, the guards would have to search their cell, and they would have to put them in solitary afterwards. I'm kind of amazed that the guards work by, like, these rules like this. Like, surely it's, like, against the rules to just look the other way when they kill people. I don't know why, like, exactly why certain rules are sacrosanct and other rules aren't. Yeah, like, it's like Fee stands against a wall and they freak out and take her inside, but then it doesn't have any long-lasting yeah. repercussions. It's unclear why the guards, like, when going through their cell, would not just look the other way about that, too. It's also wild that somebody putting off an incendiary device that stops them from getting into one of the rooms of the prison didn't instantly trigger a shakedown of all the cell blocks. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> it's like the internal rules of this jail don't make any sense. At all. The thing is, it seems like every episode, it's a different jail. <laughs> right? Like, I was kind of surprised when Anne stuck around. I kind of thought every episode, it would feel like a completely different jail. And she'd have a new ally each Exactly. Time. I mean, I'm glad Anne stuck around. I like Anne. Yeah. But yeah, if there was a whole block-wide shakedown, that could take the sisters down. Mm-hmm. But the price. But the price. Uh, Fee needs to have the gang get a package from her ex-husband into the prison by 9 a.m. the next morning. So Fee calls Madeline, who needs to get a message to Michael. I don't know why she doesn't call Michael. Maybe she tried and didn't get yeah, through because he's on exactly. a, you know, a Sam chase. But yeah, Madeline says that Michael's busy, but that she, Madeline, might be able to do it. Meanwhile, Jesse and Michael arrive at the helicopter tour site, which is in the middle of nowhere for some reason because we're in the Everglades. I'm going to say this right now. This might get me in trouble. This might get me canceled. The Everglades suck. They don't look good. They they look ugly. And, like, it's really hard to shoot them well and make it not look like you're just in the middle of fucking nowhere. And, and anytime they run into anyone in the Everglades, it seems like they should not be there. It seems like... It's unclear why this helicopter tour in the Everglades is just, like, two people in the middle of, like... A swamp. A swamp. Like, there's no, like, real, like, infrastructure here or anything. It's just, like, two people in a swamp. 
Yeah, it's very strange. I I Uh, will say, I think everywhere in Florida kind of sucks. And not for nothing, but a friend of mine recently went to Miami and I got drinks with her recently. And she just told me like almost a two hour story of how bad Miami sucks. Like every single thing that went wrong could. She was there for a festival, a film festival, and that sucked. Then Miami itself sucked and everyone was mean and terrible. And like, it was just the worst, like long weekend of her life. And I was like, every based on everything fictional I know about Miami, that tracks. Yeah. Hey, hey, Florida, fuck you. <laughs> Florida, absolutely fuck you. Hey, fuck you, Florida. <laughs> hey, I, but here's the thing. I understand the Everglades are important, like, for wildlife and for, like, the climate and everything. Like, yes, the Everglades can exist. I just don't want to go there and I don't want to watch people be there because it's ugly. I, I don't want to look at it. I don't want to look at it. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's the only time they go to the Everglades is just so that they can justify there's not extras around. Oh, God. That's true. You know what I mean? Like, it's just there's not a city block where they're, like, having a gunfight in broad daylight where extras are just, like, walking around like normal. Because <laughs> that's happened in a couple of oh, episodes. God. Also, like, how does this helicopter... So do people come to this helicopter tour... Get in a helicopter and just look at the Everglades? Yeah, it's unclear. It's unclear. Anyway, but they arrive and Michael approaches the pilot of the helicopter tour, the one pilot of the one helicopter, and immediately explains that he works for the FAA and that the pilot is getting a whole bunch of complaints and he really steamrolls the guy and is like, you need to get some information from your house now. And he's like, I have an appointment. It's like, we canceled your appointment. I talked to the girl. You were good. Go now. Like... And also just kind of subtly negging him the whole time. It's mm-hmm. like, but like, kind of like, you know, I'm sure you're not as bad as everyone's saying. <laughs> like, about how bad you are at being a pilot and a person. <laughs> I'm sure you don't actually stink. <laughs> but you're going to have to go to your house. He's like, okay, I'll, I'll be gone for 45 minutes. So they set up at the lake helicopter tour with Michael being the pilot and Rebecca and Sam arrive. They are checked in by Mary Dale, the nicest, most genuine woman who has ever lived. <laughs> Mary Dale wants to help all the time and she always means it. <laughs> um, so on the way to the chopper, Rebecca notices that Sam is acting fishy as if he's expecting to be rescued. So Re- Rebecca asks Mary Dale if the pilot can come out for a photo, and Mary Dell says yes because Mary Dell lives and breathes customer service. <laughs> well, she's stuck in a swamp. She gets so little human communication. She is like you would think that like Mary Dell being in this frankly shit job in the Everglades with this one other guy would be like bored. No, Mary Dell having the time of her life, always. <laughs> God bless Mary Dell. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, she's like, here, come out, take a picture. Can I say also, especially because like I've worked customer service jobs, if someone's like, hey, can we take a picture? I would have been like, God, yeah. Hey, Tim, can we get a picture? They want to take a picture. You know, like, but she's like, no, of course, obviously. You're husband and wife and you love each other. <laughs> you want a picture it. with a random stranger. It's like your anniversary or something. You want to take a picture with the pilot before you fly over the fucking Everglades. And can I say, though, this entire sequence is so strange because she, like, walkies into the, the helicopter, like, hey, come, you know, Tim, whatever the hell his name is, come out and take a picture. And he just, like, sits there. Yeah. And I was like, wait, did they kill the guy? And he's just in the plane? And it's like, no, Michael's just not coming out. But he's wearing a big helmet. He could have gotten much closer to her before taking it off and had a better upper hand. But yeah. instead, he just fucking sits, he just sits there. He's like a lump like... in the helicopter. Here's, here, here's what I think. I think Michael uncharacteristically panicked because he was like, <laughs> I think Michael was like, oh, God, what did he sound like? What did he sound like? And he's just like, 
He's just like, Michael's just there like, I think, did he have an accent? What did he sound like? What did he sound like? Oh, God, I've been I've been silent for too long. It's, oh, God, this is he not He didn't even working. have to say anything. He just needs to get out of the fucking helicopter. I think if he got out of the helicopter, Rebecca would have immediately noticed that it was, like, Michael. Even so, it's weirder that he just sits there. It is weird. It, the scene has a very weird energy. It's, yeah, everything in the in the weird swamp helicopter area is weird. <laughs> it's all weird. Mary Neth- Dale's asking, acting really weird. <laughs> The good, not good pilot is weird. It's all weird. Everyone's no. got swamp sickness. Everyone They've does. got swamp psychosis. Everyone. The energy's off. The vibes are all over the place. Exactly. The vibes are so all over the place. But yes, Michael just sits there and then like Rebecca just opens fire on the helicopter and then blows up a fuel tank in order to escape with Sam. And then we leave. Mm-hmm. Um, so but no Mary more helicopter. Da- but Mary Dell's fine. She screams, but she leaves. She's okay, though. Don't worry. <laughs> she lives to serve another day. Uh, so in the car, Sam gets pissed at Rebecca for working with her friend Danson, and she explains that, of course, she's being blackmailed. Of course, you buffoon, you imbecile. <laughs> her brother dies if she doesn't help Anson, obviously. Yeah. It's and new then- that it's a brother, though. It's usually a sister or a mom. Exactly. Or, like, a wife or something. Yeah, but it's but she's a girl, so... Oh, yeah, it makes sense. We must always have gender equity on Burnout. Exactly. Oh, gosh. But then Michael and Jesse show up, and this is a very odd episode in which, like, there's a lot of scenes in which Sam and Rebecca are a little bit ahead just long enough that they can have a quick scene before Jesse and Michael catch up again. Mm -hmm. It's kind of this, this same pattern over and over again, wherein, like, yeah, Rebecca will reveal a little bit more and then, oh, here comes Sam and Jesse. Mm-hmm. Or they'll have to, like, fix their car, and it takes them, like, five minutes. Yeah. Michael and Jesse show up in the Charger and chase some more, but Rebecca shoots the car and escapes into the Everglades, leaving Michael and Jesse angry, frustrated, and far behind. Yeah, because, like, th- she had shot the Charger when she first kidnapped Sam, and they had to repair it. Then they finally caught up, but she shoots it again, and it, like, undoes the repairs. Exactly. So the Charger's fucked. As per usual. As per usual. But it won't be fucked for very long because they have to fix it again. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, in prison, Fee tells Anne that she can get the package. But if they could extend the deadline and do the shakedown first, things would be a lot better. But Anne says, no, like, you get me that thing, I'll do the shakedown. But it only works that way. The clock, she is ticking. Mm-hmm. So Madeline goes to Anne's ex-husband's house and asks for the package. It's also very unclear. It feels like... Fee did not do a good job of communicating to Madeline that, like, the guy does not want to give up the package. Like, it's clear from the way that Anne is explaining it that, like, the guy does not want to give it up. Right, yeah, this isn't a simple, like, delivery, you know, pickup. And it's also unclear why Nate is not along for the ride. Nate's in town. Nate's not doing anything. Bring Nate, even for muscle. Yeah, Nate's busy. But again, she just, I think she just thinks that, like, that she's expected. Right. I don't know. But she goes and um, proceeds. And so the husband is there, does not want to give up the package, and proceeds to physically assault and threaten her in a way that is not at all fun to watch. It is weirdly so, it is so harsh mm-hmm. and uncomfortable the whole time. And it almost, like, this is what I was talking about last week, where I was like, it feels like there's a threat of sexual violence. Yes, the, it very much feels like a threat of sexual violence. Mm-hmm. And, and it's it, not ever explicit, and he doesn't do anything. No. But there is a vibe to the way that this guy is behaving and the lines that he's saying. Yeah. And the way that they're making Sharon Glass act, which you have a note yeah, about. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And the thing is that, like, yeah, Sharon Glass is playing it incredibly, like, 
timid and scared the entire time, just like really like playing up the power imbalance of this. And I remember part of me was like, the thing is that early on she asked for a cigarette and I thought it was a plan. I thought Madeline had a plan. Mm-hmm. Spoiler, she doesn't have a plan. Yeah, this, this just is, went really badly. Yeah, this is an episode where we just need an excuse for Michael to get even angrier to like let him you yeah. know, vent a little bit later on. But instead but yeah. of being an episode where Sharon Glass, a very capable woman who we have seen get out of scrapes before. Exactly. She killed a guy a couple episodes she ago. She did. And see, that's why I kind of wanted the conclusion of that instead of being like, oh, God, I killed a guy to be like, hell yeah, I've tasted blood and now I'm insatiable. Exactly. You know, because then it would be fun for her to come back at the end of this and like, you know, maybe Michael can be there if he needs to be there for the scene. But she can show up with like her shotgun and be like, oh, yeah. Hi again. Yeah, it's just like, it's such a weird note in the episode. But no, the girls must be gentle. Even when the girls are a little violent, they must ultimately be gentle and be victims. Yeah, what's going on, Denny Gordon? I don't think it's Denny Gordon's fault. I mean, yeah, I know. But it's also like, I think like a lot of the the choices and the way that both actors play it. Yeah. Yeah, those are directing choices. I think it also is supposed to set up the later scene when Michael comes back to like avenge her. But it's also like, who cares? We'll get to that. Rebecca and Sam arrive at an Everglades meth operation and Rebecca decides that they need to commandeer a fan boat from the meth guys. Mm -hmm. So they discuss about different ways to do it and she decides the Sims send Sam in with a backpack full of explosives. Sam tries to convince them to leave, but then she just starts shooting at them and Sam and they peace out real quick after that. Yeah. Um, However, in the chaos of the shooting, Sam does swipe a cell phone. So Rebecca ties Sam to a thing while she readies a fan boat. At this point, it's like, at this point, all of her dialogue is just the running joke about how they're married. Like, every single thing that she says in this scene is just like, I I guess it's not working out, huh, Javi? Mm -hmm. Like, for, like, someone who's a weird, like, who seems like a very humorless person, she's weirdly into this joke. Into this role play? Like... It seems like she just discovered jokes. Well, I mean, Sam did humanize himself to her by doing little jokey jokes and exactly. flirting with her. So yeah, now she's like doing it, but with bile. Um, but yeah, so Sam, like while she's readying the fan boat, Sam calls Michael and tells him how to get there and like where they are and how if they don't get there fast, he's probably dead. So then he calls his girlfriend and then Bruce Campbell does some acting, some real hard acting and he tells her that he loves her just in time for Rebecca to put the gun on him and there's a transition with a gunshot noise in it that kind of sounds like she just shot him. Yeah, but of course, again, there's yeah. no way this is how Sam X dies. Uh, although the the final thing is, oh, you're stepping out on me or something like that. Like yeah. she makes one final quip exactly. about like, hey, we're married, remember? You're remember calling the funny girls. Joke? Remember yeah. the joke that we're doing? Oh yeah, so yeah, then Jesse and Michael arrive and it looks like Sam is dead but he's just knocked out and he kind of wakes up and he's bleeding from the head, which on TV means he's absolutely fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's just glad that he didn't get hit in the chin, which is the most <laughs> peak Bruce Campbell thing that we've had in a while on this show. Yeah. But yeah, meanwhile, Rebecca is gone and she's got the backpack full of explosives with her. Then Jesse sees a fan boat getting away and gives chase, but soon discovers why I said a fan boat at the beginning of the sentence and not Rebecca in a fan boat, because it turns out it was a decoy or a diversion, rather. Uh, he calls Michael and tells him that Rebecca is not on the fan boat. He's somewhere. She's somewhere else. And Michael notices the bomb under the charger. And so they call out to Rebecca and Sam tries to convince her not to do this. He knows now that she hates Anson and that they can save her brother. And Michael joins in and really turns on the 
we're the good guys and we'll keep you safe charm. And he sounds like he's selling life insurance. But it works. Yeah. We're, like, it's at the end of the episode. We don't have time for it not to exactly. work. Exactly. It works so well that, like, uh, Bruce Campbell is like, that was easy. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, next scene. Again, now we get the other scene in the ex-husband saga. Yeah. Where a very pissed off Michael goes with Madeline to the ex-husband's house and beats his head against the fridge like he's Batman in a Zack Snyder movie. Mm-hmm. And then the guy gives them the package, but then Michael hurts some extra for my mom. While staring at Madeline, yeah. a woman who was brutalized alongside him by his abusive father, and who has had to see him brutalize other men before, triggering both of them. It's so weird it's... and weirdly out of tone with everything else. Like The thing is that like if the rest of the episode had had this tone, it would at least feel consistent. I don't know right. if I would have enjoyed it, but it would have been like a better like holistic piece of art. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, this is, I don't know what is going on here. Yeah, it's, like, l- weirdly lighthearted and kind of yeah. just, like, you know, we got to get our stuff together. Yeah, and then in the middle is just this real dark thing mm-hmm. in the C-plot. The C-plot is the darkest plot of this episode. Yeah. I don't know what the fuck is going on there. And I also just don't like that Madeline was robbed of all her agency. Yeah. And then we don't even get to, like, sit in the the thing that we've seen her and Michael grapple with multiple times about, like, the way in which violence happens yeah. in their lives. And it's not even like this is an episode about Michael's violence. Like, it's not. No. It feels like these scenes are from a different episode. Yeah, it's very, very strange. Yeah. It almost feels like they shot these scenes for a different episode, had to cut them. This, epi- this other episode is running low for time, and they added this and made this a subplot or something. Yeah. I don't know. It's just really weird. Yeah, and it's weird that Madeline's in it at all. Like, yeah. she adds nothing thematically. No. Michael's no. rage. At, like, Michael's already pissed. Yeah. You know, like, thematically, he doesn't need to be more pissed. There is no reason why this should be happening. It, it fully does feel like a totally different episode. It's so, it's so weird. Anyway, back in prison, it looks like Fee's about to get jumped, but then the shakedown happens, and the sisters get double arrested. Which is when you get arrested when you're already in prison. Yep. Uh, Afterwards, Fee asked Anne what the package was, and Anne reluctantly shows her a necklace that belonged to her mother, who died while Anne was in prison, and her ex-husband was hoarding it because he's pissed because Anne shot his brother. It's a whole lot of backstory. But it's, she sells it, it's good. And she also admits, after Fee prods her, that the package didn't come in time. But she's deciding to trust Fee. Isn't it also that there's something else in the package that we don't know about yet? I got the sense, because like, that's a pretty big package for like a necklace. And it was also unclear why there was a timeline. I mean, yeah. It I, could I, have been another thing. I think I there might be another thing that we will learn about later. Because Fee's going to be in prison for at least two more episodes. Oh yeah, totally. I think like... Yeah, I think it might be more. I don't know. Because it's the size of, like, a cigar box. And this I mean, it's not the size of little. a cigar box. It's, like, the size of, like, a, like, not a Rubik's Cube, but, like... No, it was bigger than that. I'm, I'm saying like, cigar box very specifically because Fallout 4 has a lot of cigar boxes that I pick up at no, scale. No, but it's, like, it's, A, it's more of a cube, and I feel like it's, like, half a cigar it's box. It's not a cube. It's definitely not a cube. It's 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 a rectangle, for sure. Hmm. Okay, it was more... I don't, I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's it's bigger than the necklace. It is. It's far. definitely bigger than the necklace. Anyway. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Or it may matter, but not on this episode. Sure. Meanwhile, Rebecca has decided to trust Michael as well, and trusting Michael with the task of finding her brother, who has been missing for six months. They can't use the CIA to find him, and Anson can't find out because then he's dead. Looks like a job for next week's episode. Yep. And that was this one. 
Yep. You it's want... it's constantly amazing to me how this like they keep doing the same fucking plot over and over again where like somebody's doing something bad, Michael finds out they're a good person, and they're like, sure, I guess I'll help you. And it's like it it's more believable when it's somebody who doesn't know Michael, but like yeah. Rebecca canonically like has looked up to Michael for years. Like she what? mentions it in the last season. She knows him. Why would she not instantly go to him and is like, hey, this dude that's fucking with your life, he's fucking with my life too. And I know that you've got something up your sleeve. To be fair, Anson has pretty consistently had the upper hand on Michael the entire time. I guess. And so maybe she's like, God, Anson is so good that even like... I just wish they had another way to present this thing. Like, I'm fine with, you know, Michael finding the good in people and helping them out, you know, rather than just taking them down too for their bad behavior because he has empathy for them. But I just wish they could present it to us in a new way. It's always just this like, it's actually a good person, not a bad person. And they just need someone to give them some hope. Luckily, that's what Michael Weston's here for. For giving help. As long as the help involves doing spy stuff. Mm-hmm. Because if it's anything else, Michael can't do that. Yeah. Systemic problems. Emotional know. problems. <laughs> Maybe Dr. George Penderson can help with the yeah. emotional problems. But Michael Weston cannot. Hard pass. All Michael knows is spy tips. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about spy tips. There's a lot here that are kind of borderline. This wasn't like an amazing spy tip episode. Mm-hmm. But we'll, we'll see. First one. When you need to capture a target in a building, one of the most effective techniques is known as the hammer and anvil. First, your team surrounds the structure, sealing off all exits. Then you enter from all points at once, quickly and quietly. The goal is to find your target fast enough to avoid a standoff or a firefight. It's hard to interrogate your target if he's dealing with a gunshot wound. Of course, it's even harder if he's dead. Feel like you got enough? It's got I mean, a... it's got a cool name. I feel like we've seen this tip before. Yeah, but but it's got a cool name now. It's got a cool name. That's fine. Is that enough for you? He can have it. Okay, cool. Next, when you're abducted at gunpoint, it's best to approach it like a blind date. You want to be an active listener. You want to stay positive, and you want to make a connection. The more you humanize yourself in the eyes of your captor, the harder it will be for them to pull the trigger. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. a lot here. I like yeah. the. Pres- I this is a well-written tip. Mm-hmm. I think it's cute and clever. It is cute and clever. And it's very Michael Horowitz. It's very Michael Horowitz. As any crisis negotiator knows, only about one in five hostages survives a rescue attempt. If you're the hostage, you'd like to improve those odds, which means figuring out where your rescue is coming from and getting yourself out of the line of fire. Of course, if your captor is every bit as trained as you are, even the slightest attempt to adjust your your position might be noticed. This is almost certainly nothing. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, because I think that's smart. That's not something I would necessarily think about, is like, all right, if my rescuer is coming, there's two options. So I want to position myself to, like, not be in the way. Like, oh, I'll walk on the left side. Like, I think that's smart. And I feel like combined with seeing him rescuing lots of people, I might, in any given situation, have a good idea of where I think a rescue might come. Yeah, that makes sense. From? Yeah, we can keep it. Yeah. I think it's interesting. Yeah, let's keep it. Gave me some thinking to do. You thought some stuff. I thought some stuff. You hate that. I do hate that, but I I was learned against my will, and so it is good. (laughs) That means that it's good. The standard M112 demolition charge contains 1.25 pounds of C4. When the charge is detonated, the explosive is converted into compressed gas, and the shockwave rips through anything within 16 feet, which means that if five of those charges are in your backpack... Anyone within a city block is in the blast radius, too. 
There's a lot of numbers there. A lot of numbers. And I'm just a dumb girl, as are you. Exactly. And bad at math, but it seems Terrible like it. A, a, a big, strong, smart man could do something with exactly. these numbers. Sure, it was a lot of numbers. <laughs> it's a lot of numbers, mister. You got a calculator on you? <laughs> All right. All right, then that means this last one's got to do it. There are certain fights you can't hope to win. Your only goal is to not lose too badly. Surviving a beating from multiple attackers is about avoiding the worst blows. You can protect your head or do your best to stay on your feet. And most of all, you hope for a miracle. Is there anything actionable in there other than protect your head, which is pretty obvious? I mean, staying on your feet makes sense because then, you know, you're not in as compromised of a position. Yeah. Is that enough? I think that's enough. All right. I'll give enough. it to him. That's five. All right. We got spy tips. All right. We got spy tips. Barely. You're on thin ice. You're on Mikey. thin nights, Michael. Thin nights. Thin nights. <laughs> oh, I'm on a podcast. That's dumb. <laughs> All right. Did this episode use spycraft over violence? I think so. Yeah. I think we learned that, like, the biggest spy tip of all is heart. <laughs> the biggest spy tip is the friends you make along the way. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll take that. Uh, was there an alias in this episode? No. no, there was not. No alias. Or at least two supporting characters used well. Does Fee get to blow something up? No. No. She, she's mostly playing defense this time. Yeah, and she doesn't really... She feels more like a C-plot or yeah. like a, in this episode. Yeah, this is, she was definitely not as prominent in the yeah. action. Exactly. Is Sam peak Bruce Campbell, as we've already established he is? Yes, It's a very good Sam episode. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a Sam episode, so that makes sense. Is Jesse a distinct addition rather than a redundancy? I don't think so. I think Jesse's just sort of there with Michael. Jesse's there to complain, and that's about it. Yeah, Jesse doesn't really do anything. He's just like, yeah, he's there with Michael fixing cars. All right. Well, we need one more. Does Madeline get a genuine emotional moment or get to do the case of the week? I mean, she is involved in the case of the week. She is involved in the case of the week. And we didn't love that, but that it's not about if we think her contribution made sense or was satisfying. It's that it's there. And it is. It is. So, yeah, this is a great episode of Burn Notice. Yep. <laughs> we say we, reluctantly. We seem like we don't like it. Uh, I mean, I, th- I think it's fairly clear that this is not going to be a great episode of television. No. It's just, it was a little all over the place. It was a little all over. And, like, again, I I think I, for the most part, enjoyed myself while I was watching it. Yeah. There's a lot of really good things about it. Again, Bruce Campbell's really good in this episode. Mm-hmm. It's really fun to watch him. It is, yeah, it's, just, it's a little repetitive. And a little sloppy in ways yeah, that it's not usually. Exactly. And it doesn't even have, like, this is an important, like, piece of the season-long puzzle. No, it's not. To, like, fall back on. Because sometimes, like, that's that's hard, right? Like, yeah. when you need to set up, you know, the big villain. But it's not. This episode could have been a lot different and still yeah. functionally done the thing it needed to do in right. the season. Like, there's a thing it's trying to do, which is to happen in pretty much real time. Mm-hmm. But the thing is that it's real time in the Everglades. I think... I don't know if part of it was that they were assuming that the Everglades were more interesting than they were. Yeah. I but they're not even like... There's not enough going on. because like not enough. You yeah. put it really well when you were like, you pointed out that basically the entire adventure Rebecca and Sam take is they do the married bit and they encounter a problem. Uh, Rebecca wants to kill the problem. Sam wants to Sam the problem. Exactly. And then it is... That is interspersed with scenes in which they have 
an emotional scene for 30 seconds and then Jesse and Michael show up. Exactly. Yeah, it just, it feels very, for lack of a better word, procedural. It feels very like, and now this, and now yeah. this. And like, you can tell that Michael Horowitz wrote it because again, there's like the fun little yeah. transition shots. But like as an episode as a whole, it doesn't really hold together. Yeah. Yeah. It just feels like a lot of repetitive making time. Mm-hmm. The making time is fun because it's a Michael yeah, Horowitz episode. Exactly. But it does not make a really great episode. No, it doesn't. It's not cohesive. We didn't learn anything. No. A lot of the pieces seem to be there at random. Yeah. Rather than feeling like, oh, yeah, this all makes sense to be in this episode. Right, exactly. There was no yogurt in this there episode. There was no was yogurt. We were, on no. The, we were on the road most of no, the time. No, we were, yeah, this was a purely, no one had yogurt. No one used yogurt. No one used yogurt. No one talked about yogurt. But we had Sam. We had Sam. And we had Marydale. <laughs> and that's all we need. <laughs> and that's all we need. And, oh, all that's left is to say thanks again to Vincent E.L. for our theme music. You can find more from them at vincentel.bandcamp.com. Vincentel at bandcamp.com. And other than that, bye? What's next?